You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Clayton's season of The Bachelor and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. Hey, 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 what's happening, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 266. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in on this holiday week. Wish you all the best to you and your family for whatever holiday you celebrate. I celebrate Christmas. Santa's coming on Saturday. Santa! I know him. Anyway, great show for you this week. Stephen Fishback from Survivor. He is our resident Survivor expert. We had him on about one episode into the season. We're bringing him on for a finale recap, or kind of a season recap, of everything that went on during this season of Survivor. So we will get to that momentarily. Not a whole hell of a lot to get to. As you know, last week I gave you the episode-by-episode spoilers for Clayton's season. It's in my column from last Thursday. And it's also last week's podcast, podcast number 265, if you want to check that out. Only up to the final three. We know that Gabby, Susie, and Rachel are in the final three. And I do not know how it breaks down, what the winner is. Obviously, everyone is dissecting the promo for the season, and there's nothing definitive about it. You can make more than one assumption, so there's really no kind of point to sit there if there was something absolutely 100% definitive I'd say there's your winner or there's your third place finisher or second place finisher and first place finisher but you can't do that because you can because we don't know what happened so they can give you an edit and knowing that it's highly edited we just don't know and um, that's why I'm not really concerning myself with that promo anymore Um, I'm, I'm looking to find out what happened in Iceland towards um, the end of filming. And so, yeah, when I find it out, hopefully, then I will obviously relay it on to everybody. It's probably not going to be before the season starts. I'd be surprised if I heard it over the holidays or next week. But you never know. Sometimes Sometimes I find stuff out at the weirdest times in the most random ways. And sometimes I don't. But we're looking at, um, you know, the season starting January 3rd and, you know, I, I, I'd be surprised if I found out by then, but like I said, I, I just keep all, I keep all doors open. I just never know. What I do know though, is those are your final three and, you know, kind of like this season for Clayton is kind of the opposite of what I had for Michelle. I didn't have any episode-by-episode breakdown of Michelle's season, other than a few things here and there because there was stuff that got out when they went to Minnesota. But two weeks before Michelle's first episode aired, I said, hey, she's engaged to Nate. And then the night the first promo aired, I said, okay, well, Brandon is your final two, along with Nate. And this season, I have everything up to number three. So... I, I do think I'll eventually find out. I, I can't imagine I'm going to get to mid-March and still not know who Clayton is with. That'd be shocking. So keep it right here. I'll let you know as soon as I find out. If you missed my post in yesterday's column, I did reference the fact that 
you know, a lot of you listen to the podcast. A lot of you read my column. A lot of you follow me on Twitter, on Instagram. And there are some of you that do all four things. But I've noticed that a lot more of you kind of only follow on one platform. I'd say most people follow only on one platform. Either you just read the column and you don't pay attention to the social media stuff, or you follow on the social media stuff and you don't really read the column, or you just listen to the podcast, which is fine. I'm not, you can do whatever you want. But with the way things are going in this day and age in social media and how big it is, and uh, reading a couple days ago that TikTok is the number one website on the internet, it has surpassed Google. It doesn't make any sense for me anymore to fight this urge to not be on TikTok. Now, I'm not going to go on TikTok to do dances. I'm not going to go on TikTok to say Joe Byron and take me out to dinner and, and that stuff. But I do think I need to start having a presence on TikTok. And it's not necessarily. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast and you listen to and you read the column and you follow on social media... I'm not saying like, hey, you better go to TikTok because that's the only place I'm going to be releasing information. No, I'm just adding it as a place to give out more information because it is such a big market and it can be monetized. And trust me, if, I, if it was free and there was no way to make money on it, I wouldn't be doing it. And it's all about trying to monetize and, and get what you can out of it. And I think the content that I have is what people will be interested in, which is you know, the episode-by-episode breakdown. Now, like I said, the content, I pretty much know what I'm going to do. The presentation of it, not sure yet, because I'm not really great with social media. I've never been good with videos. I pretty much are going to have to have my niece walk me through how to post a video and maybe do a green screen, but I don't even know if that's how I'm going to do it because I see so many other people doing it that way. I, I don't know. I kind of want to do something different, but I kind of just want to get the basics out there of, Every week, even though the episode-by-episode spoilers are out there, this is for people who haven't heard of me or don't follow me on my website or don't know about the episode-by-episode stuff where I'm go- while I will still post it on Instagram, I'm just going to add it to TikTok and do a video, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds to a minute every week leading into the episode of, okay, in, in Rose Ceremony number two, episode number two, this is what you're going to see. Uh, Susie gets the first one-on-one date. The first group date of the season is this. Here's who gets the group date rose. Cassidy gets the group date rose. At the after party, they, you know, that whole thing goes down, and, and Clayton ends up taking the rose away from her. Stuff like that. It would just be a breakdown. I, can, I could do a, an episode spoiler in 45 seconds to a minute. So, yeah, I have fought it long enough, but it just... It doesn't make sense for me anymore to to stay off TikTok. So I'm going to, I just don't know, like I said, the presentation of it. I will figure that out sometime in the next couple weeks. And uh, my TikTok account right now is at RealitySteve20. Um, Hopefully I can get that changed to just RealitySteve, but we'll see. But that's going to be the content I produce. Like I said, I'm not going to go on there and dance. I'm not going to go on there and, and do duets and do the things that everybody's doing, the the dubbing of the Joe Byron stuff. And, yeah, I'm not going to do that. It's going to be straight an information medium for me and for people who follow along on TikTok, which is millions of millions of viewers and people that scroll through TikTok on a minute-by-minute basis. It'll just be a way to get more um, 
to get it out there, to get my name out there, to get the spoilers out there and have it circulate more. So that's the plan as of right now. I just wanted to let people know that didn't read that in yesterday's column. And again, with Michelle and Nate, congratulations to them. We'll, you know, I stand on relationships on this show, especially the final couple. Uh, When somebody moves and they move in together, to me, that's when it becomes serious. Because until then, they're just two people that are dating. And they talked about it. This is one of the first times in a while, I think, on on the After the Final Rose that they actually spoke about plans for the future and didn't give a basic like, oh, we're going to take it day by day and see what happens. Like, no, Nate made it clear, like, I'm moving to Minnesota soon. And that's great. And I'm not saying I don't believe him. I'm just saying I'll believe it when I see it. And when it happens, then it's like, okay, good. He felt he followed through with what he said he was going to do, and that's a good sign. So when he does, then I'll take that uh, the relationship more seriously. And it's not like I'm – not taking Michelle and Nate as you know less seriously than I took, you know Tasha and Zach or Katie and Blake. It's I, I take them all the same. It's like great, you're together. When somebody moves in and moves for the other one, assuming that they're from different states or different cities, and they move in together, that to me is serious because we know that the only reason they are engaged is because the show wants them to get engaged. You you barely know this person, so I want to see more than just a long-distance dating relationship. When somebody chooses to make the move and move in with them, yeah, to me that that becomes it becomes a more serious relationship. So good luck to Michelle and Nate. Hope all works out well with them. If not, it's okay. You know, the odds are certainly against them just because of the track record of this show. It's just a very difficult relationship to navigate. Uh, you met under weird circumstances And now you have to navigate a public relationship, which not everybody is ready for. So we'll see what happens if they make it and they get married and they stay married till one of them dies. That's wonderful. And if they break up in three weeks, that's okay too. You know, just, I just don't put a lot of stock into anything that I saw on the finale or saw on social media the day after the finale, because they didn't do anything different than anybody else in this franchise does. They, talk about how great their partner is, and then when people have broken up in the past, you look back on what they wrote, you're just like, well, that didn't sound, that sounded like you just said a bunch of stuff because you felt like that's what the public wanted to hear. So each one is a case-by-case basis. We we just don't know. But um, because somebody acted a certain way on the finale or wrote something the next day, it doesn't mean anything. It's It really doesn't. And the track record proves that. So good luck to them. We'll see what happens. And, you know, we'll just move forward with uh, Clayton's season in a couple weeks. But before we get to any of that, we got to go with 266. Podcast number 266 coming up right now with Survivor's Stephen Fishback. You know him. You love him. He is an encyclopedia when it comes to this franchise. I hope you all watched this season. It definitely was interesting. And we cover a lot of topics in regards to this season of Survivor. So here we go. Podcast 266. All right, here he is. Uh, you saw him first on Survivor Token Chains, then on Survivor Second Chances. Uh, he is the host of the Know It Alls podcast and our resident Survivor expert. Um, we had him on at the beginning of the season. Now going to do a wrap up uh, with him now on this very interesting season of Survivor, to say the least. It is Stephen Fishback. Stephen, how you doing? 
Hi, it gives me such great pleasure every time you say uh, resident survivor expert. I really, I really love being your resident survivor expert. I mean, you know more about the show than anybody outside of maybe a couple of people that you do your know-it-alls with. But I mean, you guys are on the same <laughs> level. Um, I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to start at the end and work a little backwards because the end is pretty much what everyone was talking about last week. Um, yeah, this whole xander versus erica edit versus reality like clearly i think most people who watch this season were stunned in the final episode to not only not see xander win but for him to get shut out and erica just run away with it like however if you read what danny had to say in his post-show interview he spoke for the most part uh for the jury and basically said no one respected Xander's game and viewed him as a threat, which, as a viewer, surprised me. And that's where we get yes. in the issue of edit versus reality. We can only judge these contestants by what the show chooses to let us see. Erica's edit was pretty much non-existent until finale night. And I, I know at some point this season, uh, you and Dalton were going kind of back and forth on this. I think you had said that Erica had no chance to win. And I'm guessing that you made that assumption based off the edit she was getting. So... Are you disappointed? Are you confused? Do you not like how it was edited? Where are you at with how this finale played out versus what we're hearing the contestants who played the game said versus what was aired? Well, the one thing I want to say first is that in some ways I was happy that someone I wasn't expecting to win won because it did seem like the show was getting to the point in kind of the late 30s seasons where they were really telegraphing the winners too much you know you watched uh season 39 that tommy won and even his edit was so over the top of winner's edit where he was getting content that you know made no sense for him to get you know early on and throughout the show that there was there was no question so when he won it's a little bit boring to like be able to predict someone winning you know see that justified throughout the season and then okay they win so it takes some of the excitement away so in, in many ways i was very happy with all three finalists, none of whom I would have imagined winning. But yeah, with Erica, it's a little bit frustrating because if she is, you know, to some degree, the story of Survivor is always the story of how, you know, 19 people lose, or in this case, 17 people lose, and one person wins. And to not see that story, to not see like maybe the most important story was very frustrating. You know, I think the fact that Erica is the first woman winner in seven seasons is also you know to see her so under edited a little bit frustrating and you know some people say well maybe she just wasn't doing anything maybe the content wasn't there but you know erica had a very important relationship with heather you know they were two of the final four um their alliance was probably the most solid and certainly the most enduring alliance of the whole game we didn't see it made you know we didn't see anything about that alliance until you know episode 10 or so where suddenly people are saying oh yeah erica and heather are a type here like they are you know where did this come from you know in the finale there was a whole scene of them like toasting each other and saying you know we really did it we really went all this way this unlikely pair like <laughs> where did they come from who knew they were an unlikely pair until they themselves were saying that they were an unlikely pair so i do think that this was a little bit of a miss in terms of showing us more of erica because you're right xander is they made him into this enormous threat you know we saw so much of xander through the season um and if you weren't reading the you know the jury exit interviews how could you possibly know why he lost 
Yeah, you wouldn't. I I was stunned, and I was I was reading it, and I was just I started to get tipped off, and I'm like, huh, maybe I'm just missing something here. But yeah, to to hear Danny say that no one respected Xander's game, and that's why they didn't make him flush out the idol because they wanted to sit next to him at the end. I'm like, God, that's a completely different story than what we're seeing on TV as viewers. It was ro- oh, yeah. really I bizarre. Mean, it, it seemed like you know there was so much tension paid to Xander's idol and to all of his you know, moves to protect the idol, you know, when, when uh, Liana used the knowledge as power advantage, you know, Liana had, a, you know, numerous confessionals or certainly one big confessional in the season about how Xander was the biggest threat to win. And she had to get rid of him before it was too late. You know, uh, every, you know, Xander talked about keeping Ricard around because he was uh, a meat shield to protect himself. And there was, there was so much story about Xander kind of, zigging and zagging to navigate his way to the end and then he gets there and it's like you know sad trombone sound you know he was or we're left with like a total goose egg and as a you know as a goose egg uh recipient myself <laughs> I, you know it's not the most shameful thing in the world but uh still i mean you know watching this you're like how did that happen yeah. and deshaun too was a huge character all season long you know he he was one of the most um, influential characters of the season. So, you know, I think with him, there it was a little bit more clear why he only got one vote. You know, we saw a lot of him being um, erratic. Um, I, I don't remember Shan's exact words. Was it like petulant and whiny or something like that? Uh, I don't remember exactly what she said. But um, so you can see why there wasn't as much um, jury support of, of him. But it did seem surprising that... <clears throat> that Xander didn't get any votes. Although, as you said, you know, then you read an interview with Danny and Danny says, we didn't respect this guy. You know, he was not, we didn't see him playing a game. You know, he was, he, so it is frustrating that that narrative just never made air. You know, you mentioned that Sarah was the first, I mean, uh, uh, Eric was the first person to win in six seasons. Sarah was the last one to do it in 30, 34, I believe. And, and not only that, the number of votes, women have even received at final tribal. I know this was in Dalton's finale recap, but it's something ridiculous. Like 62 votes to six have gone to wow. to men in the final tribal in, the, in those last six seasons where men have won. I, I mean, I don't know if there's one black and white answer. I don't think there is. But is there anything we can attribute that to without immediately just saying the show is sexist or is that really it? I mean, Erica wins seven votes to one, Deshaun getting the only other vote. But to see that discrepancy in votes over these last six seasons, is it a blip on the radar? Is it an anomaly? Or is there something to it? Well, I do think there's there has to be something to it. So the first, for the first 25 seasons of Survivor, it was about even. Now, obviously, it can't be exactly even because there was 25 seasons. But it's like something like it's almost half are men and, and women. It's like, you know, it's like 12 and 13. And then starting with season 20, after that was season 26, until season 40, three women won the show you know in that in that whole in that whole stretch which who were um uh, michelle fitzgerald um natalie and um and sarah and so you know something clearly changed to go from basically even odds to you know you know this extreme this extremely unlikely occurrence um and from my perspective i mean i don't know you know there's so much that goes into something like that I wonder if, you know, one of the big talking points of the show in recent seasons was how women didn't go idol hunting as much as men did. And I think what happened in 25 and starting, you know, going past 20, season 25 is that 
there were a lot more advantages. The show really started to supercharge this kind of random aspect of the game where there's, there was more chaotic twists, there were more advantages, there were more idols. And I think that favored men for a couple reasons. And, and first, it was, I mean, and, and again, this is like really broad strokes. So I'm, you know, I don't want to like, and I'm not a gender essentialist at all. I don't think that like, but I, I do think that Survivor sort of like forces everyone back into their like, you know, teenage self. And I, I do think there is some inherent, uh, you can, you know, some inherent, maybe sexism, you can call it, where, you know, for you go to Survivor and it's the men who are out gathering wood and the women who are back at camp weaving, you know, the men who are out fishing and the women who are cooking. And, and that's not me saying that's how it, you know, being prescriptive. That's just like what happens when you go out there. And I think it, because, you know, in a way that's, that's, that's really negative. And I think that that, um, you know, as a result, the men are the ones who are finding the advantages. And there, and there may also be something that um, plays into, you know, a more risky, a more risk taking, I and mean, that's again, like that's that sounds sexist even described to say that the men are, um, you know, and typically men have, you know, been. <laughs> I'm trying to say this. I mean, in a way that that doesn't. I, I mean, I guess like because of the structures of the show, women have all often not been in the position where they can even find those advantages or find the, those idols. And I think in the last couple of seasons, it's been a really great thing for women to acknowledge. You know, hey this is crazy. You know, it's always the guys who are going and getting the idols. Why don't we go get the idols too? Like, why aren't we the ones out there looking? And I do think there's some change happening in that. And, and, you know, hopefully that's leading to a big change in the show um, where, you know, over the last couple of seasons, there's been a lot more um, women finding idols. You know, there's been a lot more people getting blindsided with idols, a lot more women getting blindsided with idols. Typically it was uh, mostly men getting blindsided with idols because men were the ones who, who had the idols. Um, and yeah, so I, I, the other interesting thing is like um, fire making too, you know, Jeff added, or the producers added this fire making challenge at the final four, which I know you're an enormous fan of. And <laughs> um, you know, that's also a twist that may favor men because at least in my experience on the show, it was always like, you know, really the alpha dudes who had so much invested in like being the fire makers. Um, to the point where, you know, me not being an alpha dude, I wasn't even allowed to make fire, you know, in, in Cambodia. Like it was such this, you know, this chest thumping thing that the, that the fire people got, wanted to do that I was very rarely given the opportunity to, to even do it. Um, and so I do think, you know, because those are the people who are practicing making fire again and again, uh, and again, I wasn't like denied it. I just didn't like need to make a big stink about it. If, if someone's like ego is really wrapped up in like making fire, like you know, go ahead, like go ahead and make fire. Um, but but uh, yeah. So um, you know, and I think that my favorite are the men who who make fire throughout the season, and and that then you know ends up hurting the women contestants too, both because it's a, another barrier to getting to the finals, but also if it's a man winning that fire making competition, that's like a big you know survivor resume moment right in front of the jury and you're not a fan of the fire making challenge at final four right <laughs> no i'm not i'm not i mean one one thing that um you know it's like jeff didn't like or you know the producers didn't like that you know the favorite was always getting voted out third in third place so they made it a final three well as a result the favorite was getting voted out 
in fourth place. Okay, so they made fire making at, at the final four, and and now suddenly the you know the fan favorite is getting voted out in fifth place. You know, with Ricard. Um, so it's it's just it's like as many changes as they make, they're going to keep on pushing back when that person gets voted out. Um, I do. Uh, my, my co-host of this, Reverend Odal's Rob Cesternino, made the point that as much as we hate the fire-making challenge, it has produced a lot of really powerful moments over the last couple of seasons. You know, um, in um, season 38, you had Rick Devins going up against Chris Underwood. That was one of the highlights of that season. In season 40, you had uh, Sarah going up against Tony, and that was a huge emotional moment. And in this season, when... Um, when Heather went up against Deshaun, that was an incredible moment too. I mean, it was such a power, you know, so it was a real, you know, tense moment that uh, as much as I hate the fire making, I do see that it's creating good television. Yeah. I mean, Sarah versus Deshaun was great. The actual act of them competing against themselves was great in the moment. It ultimately didn't matter who won because we saw the blowout that it was. If Heather would have got to the final three, I don't think that changes really much anything in the finals. Um, but yeah, it does seem like a lose lose for the person that wins the final four challenge because I, I mean, it just, can you explain like for the, for those that are unaware, when you win the final four challenge, you're obviously immune. So you pick who you want to take to the finals with you. Xander chose Erica, which obviously ended up being uh, a wrong choice for him. He read the jury completely wrong, which is what they've all said from the beginning. Xander just didn't read what we thought of Erica very well. Um, and then the other two have to duke it out, and the winner gets to join them in the final three. But just explain to yourself, explain to everyone why you believe. I mean, I think you think it's a lose lose for the person who wins final four as well, right? Well, for the person who wins the immunity of final yeah. four, yeah, it's almost you're right. putting them in a yeah. lose lose situation. Well, because because they they win the immunity, but as a result, they don't get this sort of you know show show um, stopping you know experience in front of the jury. The person who wins fire. Has, is getting to perform um, right in front of the jury and like has this like big climactic moment um, right you know right when it matters most and then you know and, and so the person who who wins the immunity challenge is in some ways responsible for that fourth place person going home so they're going to be mad that they didn't get taken yep. and they don't get that big you know that big payoff I mean. Although to be fair, like it, it also you know was very briefly conventional wisdom that you couldn't possibly win the game if the person who won the challenge was taking you to the end. That was an extremely undercutting move. But uh, you know, Erica won, um, and then um, I believe um, Tommy won in season thirty-nine, and they, they both got taken to the end by by uh, the fire making winner. Yeah, and you know it didn't work for. Um... Well, I mean, Chris Underwood beats Devins, and he ends up winning. Yeah. And Tony yeah. beats Sarah, and Tony ends up winning. So it did work for somebody that earned their way in. But like you said, that was a look-at-me moment to where you perform in front of the jury, and it's a notch on your belt. And it really just seems and, like – And Wendell won, and Wendell won oh, yeah. season uh, – um, whatever that was, 36, 37, I don't remember. Whatever. He, Wendell won Ghost Island, uh, and he, he, you know, by not even a full vote, right? Like Wendell went into that. And they had tied, and you have to wonder, like, what if Wendell didn't get to do that fire-making challenge right before the final tribal council? Maybe he wouldn't have won that season. It's very possible. I mean, we we really don't know. I, I mean, I think yeah. that, you know, so many seasons we seem to get to the end, and a very deserving player wins, and we sit here Monday morning quarterbacking saying, <laughs> how did everyone else in that tribe not see that and take him out? Well, yeah. this, well, this season yeah. they did, because I think if Ricard gets to the finals – 
against anyone, he wins and probably wins in a shutout. They saw that, and they got him out. So credit there. Um, but in talking about Richard, you mentioned him briefly earlier. Uh, Ricard. <laughs> Richard. Uh, Ricard, he for sure, I, I would think that you think this way as well, but maybe you don't. Um, does he win against anybody else in the finals? It sure seemed that way. It sure seemed that he, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of like who the previous person, you know, that he made, maybe like Shan would have beaten him. Like had, had they been up against each other, you know, well, we really don't know. Like maybe, maybe Danny would have beaten. Although no, even, even it seemed like Danny would have lost to Ricard. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of who, like who even, at what point there even was someone left who could have beaten Ricard. But it, it sure seemed like they, uh, you know, he, he was the, the person to beat. Yeah, I just, I mean, even if it's, even if the final three is Ricard, Erica, and Deshaun, or Ricard, Erica, and Xander, I, I think Ricard wins. I mean, obviously we know yeah, Xander's yeah. getting zero vo- votes, apparently, but no matter who he's up against. <laughs> Regardless, yeah. So, Ricard, it um, would be Ricard versus Erica. I think, I think he wins because. It sure sounded like it. It sure sounded which like Which is why they targeted really him. Regard. Because they all right. said, well, I don't want to sit next to him. He's going to beat me. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean. I think when we go back and you know overlook the whole season, I think one thing obviously that people were frustrated with, and it looks like we're going to be frustrated with it again for season forty-two because season forty-two's contestants did not see this season. It was filmed right after forty-one, so they are part of this experiment of this new survivor monster and all these advantages, and we're shortening the game to twenty-six days and and now so. Um, the advantages in general ended up being a bit too much. It's the one thing that people were frustrated with the most. It got a little bit too confusing. Um, you know, the, the, the role of the dice thing, I think ended up being a huge bust. that happened. What once or maybe twice it was used. The dice uh, roll. Did someone even use it? Did someone ever ended up using it? I can't even remember. Maybe someone used it. I don't even remember. Um, Oh right, of course Sydney used it because she ended up getting voted out for using, for not voting. Um, yeah. and, and used, but yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. Uh, so it had like a slight effect in that, in that like the person who used it, like had they voted, <laughs> might not have actually gotten voted out. Yeah. Um, so it had like a slight negative effect on, on someone using it. Um, I just, yeah, I, I felt like, I felt like when it, when it was introduced, I was like, well, let's see, you know, we, when you and I spoke, it was after I think the first episode aired yeah. and we were already in confusion mode of like, whoa, 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 what's going on here with all these, <laughs> yeah, 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 with exactly. all this stuff. But we were also like, well, let's see how it plays out. Well, right. The the role of the dice thing and the one in six chance at the at the at the tribal council, the fact that I mean, if it would have been used a lot, maybe it would have been made things more interesting. But nobody ever used it except for that one yeah. example. So yeah, it ended up being to me that ends up being a bust. The knowledge of power was great TV when Liana uh, put Xander on the spot. That was knowledge of power, right? That was her thing. Yep. Okay, yep. she yep. put Xander on the spot. That was great. Um, it was great in the fact that the show chose not to show us the pre tribal conversation that was going on or else we already would have known that Liana was being set up. But as viewers, right. We thought Liana got him and they all knew uh, the people sitting there all knew she's going to ask him and he's going to give her a fake idol. But yeah, it's, a, it's that whole edit versus reality and what's being shown to us. But I think the one thing, the positive for this season, I mean, I ranked the season overall, probably middle of the pack, maybe bottom half, but I did really like a lot of these players. They were all very a very likable cast, and I would expect if there's some sort of all-star or favorite season in the future, God, I would expect to see quite a few of these people back. I would 100% think Xander's coming back. 
I would think Ricard's coming back. I w- assuming these people want to do it, which most people do. Um, Shan, uh, I would think Shan, Xander, and Ricard are givens to come back in any sort of future All Star season. And I, you could easily convince me, uh, Danny and Evie too, and maybe Liana. I mean, I, I mean, I can't imagine they do six from one cast, but I mean. Those are great candidates to come back in future seasons. No, there's so many. I mean, this year too. Like you know, this year was like a huge fan favorite. I would be shocked if this year never came back. Yeah, you know, I mean, this cat JD. I mean, who you know, sixth off or whatever, uh, two, three, four, fifth off. I can't believe it. JD was an enormous character. You know, like he would be a great person to bring back for a second chance season. Um, you know, I mean, this cast really was stacked with, with great, great, great characters. Um, you know, T- Tiffany was was a big character. You know, they, I, honestly, you could go through it and maybe pick out two or three people who you wouldn't uh, want to see a return. But but I, I agree with you. Obviously, you know, to some you know to some degree, you're unfortunately, unfortunately you're limited by being part of a great cast, and you don't want to you know bring the whole season back at once. But I, Shan, I think, was an all time character for the show, in both yeah. in terms of being a great strategic player, uh, great television, a great social player. Um, Ricard too, you know, really like I'm, I'm, he did everything well. Um, you know, great strategist, great social, and, and you know, a challenge beast too. Um, in fact, he, R- R- Ricard almost won that challenge where he was eliminated, where Erica had the advantage. And I, I mean, I'm I believe that had Erica not had that advantage, Ricard probably would have won that challenge and, and very well might have won the game. But again, that's that's uh, every every survivor loss is a near you know near miss. Yeah. Um. But but uh. You know. You you mentioned too this the editing of the show and how it kind of played with our expectations. And I do think that was something really great that the this season brought. What were those flashbacks where we were kind of left, um, where we were surprised in, in a big moment, in a big travel council moment? I thought that was really fun. I got a lot of you know because I do think you know the show has to kind of fight against being predictable you know i think it does a bad job of it when it just gives like these like chaotic advantages that are just like mess things up and you know make it impossible for players to have a coherent strategy and just like why you know why even play the game it, you know basically you know that 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 uh time travel thing you know you know the twist where erica got to invalidate the you know previous immunity challenge someone like danny was furious about that because why play you know you put your heart into winning a challenge and then it was all a lie you know what you were promised was a lie I, so i think that's sort of um in the in its effort to surprise viewers kind of where the show goes wrong but where it goes right is i think this more creative editing where you know something happens and we're kind of left um to wonder and and you know that that example you mentioned with the knowledge of power was it was a great example of that and there was also that um, you know, for, for an even smaller uh, moment when Danny may or may not have found the idol. And, you know, we're kind of left wondering, like, did he? Did he not? But in fact, uh, he did not. So I don't know. It was, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun to watch in, in that respect. I think it I mean, we talked about at the beginning of the season about how things are going to change going forward. The fact that they were able to do this season in, a you know, after quarantine, this is the first season in a year and a half. And filming went from 39 days down to 26. We know season 42 was filmed in 26 days as well. And I asked you at the beginning of the season, do we think this is the new norm? They haven't officially said anything, but I got to believe that this is where we're headed in the future, right? A 26 day season. Um, I think so. I think like, you know, um, 
you know, why, I mean, why would the production choose to make it harder for themselves? You know, a lot of Survivor is downtime. It doesn't have to be downtime. You know, if they, like, they don't really need all those 39 days. You know, they probably somehow, I mean, it's certainly a more, a harder survival experience. You're more of a purist in that respect, right? You want the 39 days. <sighs> Only for the soul. <laughs> I mean, my, my, my reason for wanting it is purely selfish only to hear probe say um 39 days 18 people one survivor and i don't think he's going to yeah. change it yeah. i don't think he's going to change it to 26 days 18 people one survivor maybe he will next season i don't know he didn't do it this season it was the first time in 40 <laughs> seasons we didn't get it so yeah. it bummed i'm bummed about that and um I, maybe they will. Maybe they will say twenty. Maybe he will. I mean, I don't know why he wouldn't. I, I was curious to why he didn't even say it this season. I I know they started differently, and it had been a year and a half since the show had been on the air, and they wanted to maybe give it a different feel. But he still could have done something where he's standing on the edge of a volcano about to erupt, saying twenty six days, uh, eighteen people, one survivor. Um, I like that. That's the purest in me that wants to see that, and I hope it's brought back uh, for season forty two. But yeah, um, I don't. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to sit here and say someone who played Survivor and won it on a 26 day season isn't deserving. Because credit to Erica, she clearly convinced the jury that she deserved to win for that particular game. But I do think it is no matter how many twists they throw in to spend two less weeks out there. I mean, I think I said this in the in the first podcast we did at the beginning of the season. Like, if you put all the winners in a room. All the all the winners of Survivor, and they're all sitting around. I think, assuming that all the seasons going forward are twenty six days, everyone who won from season forty or earlier will probably just kind of rib and kind of nudge in the ribs, like, "Hey, Erica, you won, but uh, <laughs> you, you won in twenty six days. We won in thirty nine. Like, I, I think that yes, you're the winner. You're still getting the same amount outside of Tony's two million. Everyone else gets a million. Um, but I, I do think that there's kind of a you are part of our club, but you're a, a little step below us. And not insulting Erica or any future winner from here, but you know what I mean. It kind of like you did play a different game, you know. You did. Well, it's definitely different. I mean, in um, in in you know Australian Survivor, it's fifty five days, and I mean I can't even imagine that. Like that seems to me that would be you'd oh, be dead gosh. by then. And, and and certainly in the first few seasons of that, um, where I, which. Uh, I actually haven't watched the more recent ones, but the, the players were just totally gassed out by the end, you know, and, and it does create a difference in the way the, I mean, there's a lot more tribal councils in that too, but um, it does create a difference in the way the game is played because with more time, a lot more of those, you know, more, you know, bigger threat players are voted off, or at least in the initial seasons, I do think this has changed somewhat um where like bigger third players can get to the end and it becomes a little bit more um weeded out more quickly uh, you know the one thing I, I the one negative of a 26 day season that i still see because i don't really care like i don't i don't need them to be like you know wasting away for an extra two weeks if the number of tribal councils is the same if the number of challenges is the same um the two things i also also the two things i don't like the first are i think it's probably harder to have a really thoughtful strategy with that sh- that short a time frame, you know, there's so much happening so quickly. Um, where on a typical season of Survivor, you'd have a lot more downtime to think about things, to have conversations with people, you know, to really build a strategy. I mean, here it sometimes it seemed like people were making 
frantic, irrational decisions. And I think that's the fault of both having way too many advantages in the game where people kind of have no idea what could happen at any given moment. So why bother planning anything? And then just not having enough time. You know, you need time to talk to everybody. You need time to think through your options. You need time to, you know, construct the perfect blind side. And I think that um, not having that time really hurts um, the more strategic side of the show. The other part of the 26 days that I didn't like was just them constantly telling us how much harder it was for these contestants. Like, no, it's not. Like, it barely rained. I mean, you know, they have much less time. You know, okay, they had less food, but they were also on a beach. They had, you know, we, we saw all of the, of the fruit that they had. You know, they had access to fish and shellfish in the beach. They were fine. Like, it was not that much harder than any other season. You know, you talk to people who were in Guatemala and they had, you know, that insane hike. You know, in Token Chains, we had a crazy hike. We didn't have any food. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I don't want to be hit over the head. Like, don't, like, don't make it such a big deal. It, it felt almost defensive, you know? Yeah. Oh, you know, it just, just, just own it. Just own it. It's going to be 26 days. That's fine. It's a little bit easier, but don't make a big deal about it and we'll just accept it. Yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying. And you know, one thing I never spoke about with you and all the times that you've been on and other than the, the weight loss and I, you know, I see these people out there and it's why I could never do this show. I have no interest in doing this show ever. Because like I said, if it said this numerous times in the past, if you said to me, and right now in Dallas at night, it's probably down to about, it's been getting down to about the fifties at night. If you just said, Steve, I want you to go sleep outside for one night in your backyard <laughs> and, 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 and just sleep on the grass in your backyard and I'll give you a blanket. I'd be like, no, thanks. And, th- and I'm talking that's 50 degrees and no rain and anything. So that's why I have zero interest in ever being on this show. But I see these people, you know, do this and brave the elements with barely any food. And not only that, you just see bug bites all over their bodies, which I have. I have one flea bite and I'm picking at it and scratching it all day long. (laughs) I don't know. I, I did you ever have outside of the weight loss? Did you ever have health issues post show that lasted for either a long time or maybe only lasted for a couple weeks after you got back? But it was really hard to kick. Because it just seems like, I mean, I, I don't follow up on all these people's health issues after the show, but I'm just shocked that more people don't, like, get infected with something and have to deal with something very bad physically post-show. Or maybe they do and then oh, they talk do. about it. I, oh, no, no. I mean, they do. I mean, I uh, while I was out there, I, like, banged my elbow really bad. And it, like, swelled up to the size of a tennis ball in my first season. Oh. And I, I mean, like, the doctors were, would, would always come to me and say, oh, this would be no problem at all if you were in a hospital and you get some ice. Sadly, out here, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> so I had to soak my elbow in, like, the river, which was not that cool. You know, it was, like, 100 degrees out um, as a way of keeping it relatively cool compared to my body um, so they wouldn't get too inflamed. And... Yeah, I mean, you know, a number of people got staph infections out there. Um, one of the guys on my season, my first season, was evacuated because of a staph infection. Um, JT, who won, had a staph infection um, during the last days of the game. I kept on hoping he would get pulled from the game, but alas, not not to not <laughs> did not happen. Um, the uh, but no, I mean, yeah, I mean, and that does stick with you, right? You need uh, sometimes. I mean, a, a friend of mine whom I recommended for the show, um, Liz from Brains, uh, Braun. Beauty was um, she had a terrible staph infection 
um, on her back that required like multiple surgeries. I mean, so yeah, I mean, it definitely, you know, I do think probably the weight loss is, you know, not great for you. I've, I've like, I have like, my body has not gone back to its normal or to its previous pre-survivor um, condition, you know, ever. <laughs> so I'm, I've had a lot of like joint injuries, which I do sort of wonder if it had to do with, you know, the insane um, starvation that I put myself through twice. And I'm sure other people have similar things, you know, that are just like the wear and tear on your body from doing that is it's not the, the not the healthiest thing, no. not the healthiest thing for you. And I don't have any regrets about it. I would certainly like take, you know, the, the pains for the incredible experience I had. Um, but it, it, it does, it does have an impact. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed this season that we didn't get, and for obvious reasons with COVID and quarantine was the family visit, which is always a, a, a cool episode every season um, to see. And, you know, going forward in future seasons, I'm guessing they don't have a family visit for season 42. And I don't know if that's ever going to be a part of this show anymore. And I think that's a big loss, uh, at least for one episode. I've always thought that's, it's always been a cool episode. It's always very touching. You get to find out a little bit more about these people, where they came from, you know, who they're, you know, closest to and all that. And, you know, if, if somebody needs to quarantine for 10 to 14 days, to to appear as a family member on this show, how do you do that when you get down? Because usually yeah. families happen around six or seven. You'd have to start bringing these people in when there's still ten or eleven people left in the game. And then what do you do? Send that family home because their person got eliminated? Like you can't do it. As long as quarantine yeah. is in place, it doesn't look like we're gonna have any more family visits, and that kind of sucks. That kind of blows a little bit. Yeah. No. I, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we do. You know, get past this virus at some point, and we can. I mean. You know, for many reasons, among them the survivor family visits. Uh, that, you know, but but um, I I agree. It's it's it was a great part of the show. It was always a really emotional. And you're right. It's fun because you learn more about the people themselves. It's a great point. Um, and and I, it is a bummer to not have that at least for the foreseeable future. But hopefully, hopefully it comes back at some point. But that's, yeah, that is a that is a little bit of a, a loss in this new format. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about when you were talking about um, some of the formatting around. Um, the advantages was I do think it's good that they are experimenting with new ways to hide the advantages where, or to at least to distribute the advantages, you know, where it used to be, you were just scavenging in the woods and whoever like scavenged the best would find the advantages, you know, now though, there's a lot, a little more, um, there's more um, of a game mechanic to the advantages where, and I didn't necessarily love, you know, the ship wheel Island, as we were calling it, where people would just, you know, make a choice and maybe they'd get an advantage, maybe they wouldn't. But um, I do like that they are experimenting with new ways to um, distribute those advantages. And then that will presumably, you know, help distribute the advantages among more different types of players. So it's not just the people who, you know, are scrounging in the woods who find who find idols and advantages. I think one of the things that with Erica this season that I guess people gave her credit for, she changed the game, but, you know, you talk to anybody who covers this show, talks about this show, when Erica had a chance to reset the game halfway through, it wasn't like that big of a decision. It's not like she made some decision that was like, whoa. Like everybody said in that position – they would have done the same thing, right? You have to oh, at yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that was so dumb. I mean, the show made that. I, I, I hated that. Yeah, I really hated that twist because it was it was so dumb. There was no question. You know, 
they gave her this this thing that said you can smash the hourglass and then you will be immune um, from the vote uh, or don't do it and you won't be immune. Well, I mean, obviously she's going to smash the hourglass and be immune, you know, especially because she had literally like literally the thing that got her into that position was sort of being on the out an outcast on her tribe. You know, her her uh, her allies were given the choice of who they wanted to take with them on reward, you know, Nasir or Erica, and they chose Nasir. So basically they were saying, to Erica, you know, you're the one we want less, like you're the likelier to get voted out. And yeah, so of course she smashed the hourglass and chose immunity instead of not. So I agree. It was a, it was a dumb decision because there's no decision there. And of course you do it. There's no question. Yeah. Um, but I actually was glad that she, at least in the show that we saw, didn't make that such a centerpiece of her final tribal. You know, she didn't talk extensively about what a huge impact that, that hourglass had on the game. She talked more about her social game and her strategic game and how she came in, you know, wanting to um, the positions that she played and how she, you know, how she handled each of them. And so I thought that that was I thought she had a really, really good final trial council. She really made the case um, that she, you know, I, I thought deserved the win, especially compared to the guy sitting next to her in, t- in terms of how she, you know, every position she was in, she played it to the best she could. Um, you know, how she came into the game wanting to you know, sort of be in an alliance and make moves, but then, you know, they, they kept winning. And so, you know, I mean, just see the way she mapped out her strategy, it really felt like a smart strategic thinker was executing an intentional strategic game. And I think that's what the jury wants when they're uh, choosing a winner. Yeah. She was never the favorite ever, but she was never at the bottom. She was just kind of in the middle there playing every hand that was dealt to her at the time. Seems to exactly, be her, her exactly. case. Exactly. And, and playing it well. I mean, you know, she, you know, especially towards the end, she seemed to have a much bigger strategic impact on things. And she was, you know, one of the founders of the final four alliance, you know, and, and, and then she was, um, you know, she was the person who suggested splitting the votes when they voted out Shan, which ended up being extremely important because it also, you know, put votes on Rihanna, um, which obviously caused some dissension in, in that alliance. Um, and she was the person who chose to keep, Deshaun in the game over Danny and that was you know incredibly important too because she ended up beating Deshaun yeah. so you know I think had like a few crucial moves along the way and you know enough to point to um, and, and what was interesting was that throughout the, I mean we talked about how we got very little of Erica early on but we did get a lot of other people talking about Erica we constantly heard about what a threat Erica was from other people we never saw it ourselves but, you know, very early on, Deshaun was talking about what a threat she was to the point that they were that they tried to throw a challenge to vote her out. And that was the challenge that, um, you know, Nasir wasn't in on it. So he ended up like basically single handedly winning that challenge. It was such a fun moment for Nasir. Um, but that was all about what a big threat Erica was. And we also saw, you know, Shan was obsessed with getting Erica out and repeatedly kind of stymied in her attempts to do so. Once when Erica won immunity, another time Ricard really didn't want to get uh, Ricardo wanted the a blind side this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting that she was able to, um, be a threat throughout the game and acknowledged as a threat and never be the one voted out. You know, the last thing I want to talk about was, was Xander. And we, we talked earlier about what Danny said about him, which surprised a lot of us where he basically said, none of us respected his game. We, that's why we weren't, we didn't care to flush out the idol. Cause we all wanted to take him to the end. Cause we all thought we could beat him. But, when you look at Xander's resume on this show and you look back on it now and seeing him getting shut out, 
Are you surprised in that maybe we missed a lot of things, or do you still – obviously you didn't play and you're not the other players, but I still look at it from the outside and look at Xander as – I thought he did really well because, like I said, I get really – even though I watch every episode, I, this isn't my job, so I kind of forget about the show until the next Wednesday night. So right. if, if you ask me who was the original six on the Luvu try, I have no clue. I, I totally forget. <laughs> right. But I do, I do think I remember he was on the bottom very early on. Was it like, he had a good underdog story, didn't he? Like this is a guy that was bottom of the totem pole on his own um, tribe, but idols, he had idols. So while he never used that, he didn't really use them. He, it, it was enough to, to keep people away from voting him because they knew he had it, but didn't he? He had an underdog story, didn't he? I thought so. I mean, I, I you know, and I do think maybe he was like so much of an underdog that he never really got the chance to kind of prove himself by making those moves. Yeah, but like you're you're right. Very early on in his on his first tribe, you, you know, he he was he was in the mix a little bit. He had, clearly had an alliance with Tiffany. He clearly had an alliance with Evie. So I don't. He wasn't completely. Um, sidelined although he didn't have a vote as soon as he found the beware advantage and the um and the potential idol um so that's that's interesting you know navigating the social politics of a tribe without without having a vote and then yeah as soon as the merge happened and you know the three um yasas you know basically split split up and i thought he did a pretty good job of you know dodging the vote and um never being the target and you know leveraging the threat of the idol to not get voted out and there was the whole thing with the knowledge of power advantage um but obviously he did a very bad job of articulating that you know i think part of the problem was he never really made the case you know liana at one point said you know what was an example of you know when you used your social knowledge to have an impact on the game he couldn't come up with anything you know and, and like even i as an audience member you know who was not in xander's head was like shouting things, you know, whatever, like what, exactly what you said, Steve, like all the stuff about the, you know, not, you know, knowing when to play the idol or not play the idol or the whole thing with the knowledge of power band, you know, it was a, would have been a great example for him to cite back to Liana, but he was unable to, to do that at the time. And so I think he did a really bad job of defending his game. I mean, the other thing is like, you know, there's just a perception thing where if nobody thinks you're a threat, you can't argue I got, you know, I never got voted out if no one ever wanted to vote you out, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I do think... Because he never... Know, did he not have any votes against him all season? He did. I, um, he must have earlier, right? With I don't know. When, when they voted out Moche, did, did anyone vote against... Uh, I mean, oh, well, I mean... I can't I don't remember. Know, maybe at some point. Maybe. I, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I'm, I'm not sure. It seems like he must have gotten some votes at some point. But I was... I, was, um, I mean... I'm really not sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 um, you know, I think because he was such an underdog and he did have to really struggle to stay in the game that maybe people just never saw him making moves. Right. And that might be an age thing, you know, Xander was 20, right? very young. He was 20. Yeah. And you see this 20 year old, you know, kid basically. And you know, the, the rest of the cast is a little bit older. They might, think of him more as like a goofy kid brother rather than, you know, and maybe the same person doing what Xander did if he was, you know, 45 might have a little more respect from the jury. I mean, there's so much yeah. that goes into who the jury, you know, and, and, and honestly, the like, jurors might not have wanted to give a million dollars to, um, 
uh, kid who's like, you know, whole narrative, a 20 year old kid whose narrative was that he was like briefly out of shape when he was a teenager. You know, like, I, I do think that there's that element where the jury does want to you know, giving a million dollars to someone is a very powerful thing. And it honestly, like it, it usually is not just about who played the get best game. I think that's definitely part of it, but like who deserves the money the most is a, is a question that the jury thinks about like whose life will be changed the most by this money, you know, um, who's, you know, I mean, you know, I, I know in heroes versus villains, the fact that, you know, Sandra was a mom and that she was, you know, former military and her husband was in the military. I know that that was a factor in her getting some, you know, some people's votes. Um, you know, on my season, you know, Jeremy, I, I think, did play the best game. But Jeremy was, you know, a firefighter. He had, you know, two kids, another kid on the way. You know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, in, in the people he's against, you know, Spencer at the time was a 23-year-old kid. And I think that, you know, those are factors that the jury considers. And there's really nothing, you know, you can, you can do about that. I mean, one of the great things about Survivor is that the jury – ultimately gets to decide what they value, you know? And I think that's what's cool and interesting is that they don't have to vote according to any given criteria, that every season they basically decide for themselves, like what makes a great player? What makes a deserving winner? And what makes it a person who we want to give a million dollars to? So it's a cool part of the game that consistently changes. Yeah, I, it's a great point that you make because we see it every season. You just don't know what type of jury. There is no criteria for what you have to vote. It doesn't say like, hey, you can't vote for someone unless they won a challenge or at least they, they had to win at least two individual immunities. It's just like, no, it's we're going to determine it based on whatever criteria is each individual. It doesn't even have to be a jury criteria. It's an each individual person criteria. Now, granted, they all talk at Ponderosa and I'm sure they brainstorm stuff about what they think and it's very easy for someone to come off of the show go into ponderosa and maybe have influence uh on the other people that are there and i mean we just never know we see clips of ponderosa on cbs's website but you know yeah you just don't know and then you could have seasons where there's a bitter jury who if you had to to make a uh, uh not a guess but do you have a um answer to who the the most bitter jury was um, <laughs> in in this show's history, where it was my, where it was more like we're voting out of spite oh, for man. for not liking someone. The, a... the only one that comes to mind for me, and maybe I'm maybe I'm totally forgetting this, and she played a better game than him. Was was it all start with Rob and Amber as the final two, and they voted Amber? I mean, that's the class. That's one of the classic ones, is like Amber winning over Rob in um, All Stars. I mean, it seemed like they didn't know, like. Everyone, it was more of like, we're not voting for you, Rob. We don't like you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's a. This is a very contentious, you know, contentious subject because you know a lot of people will say, well, whoever wins, like by definition, was the best player. Like they won. That's the whole point. Um, you know, I did think, you know, that. I don't know. I mean, I, it's so hard, right? Because like, if you're pissing off the jury to the point that they don't want to vote for you. Um, then you have failed at the signature part of the game. So it's like if you are making the jury bitter, um, then you know you have not succeeded at the at the signature part of the game. I don't want to think. Of any, I mean, the, you know, the other big contentious one, right? Is Natalie White uh, winning over Russell? Yeah. Um, you know, the thing that I mean, I think Natalie. I mean, having met Natalie, she's like one of the most charming human beings I've met, and like you know, just like hanging out with the two of them for 15 minutes, I'm like, you know, I would, <laughs> I would vote for her, you know, <laughs> over, over him in a heartbeat. Um, but, um, 
you know, I do think that there was there were some parts of that season, like Dave Ball came off that show and his like final words were like, wow, like Russell played one of the best games of all time. And then by the end of the season, he votes against Russell um, for, for Natalie. I do think there's, um, you know, groupthink that does infect the jury. And, and truly, like, I think, you know, Russell also talks about how the game is flawed. I do think that there is a flaw in the game. And I don't think it's a fixable flaw, which is that the jury is not sequestered from each other. So the people who, you know, people have, the jury comes to basically a consensus decision because they're all living together. They're all, you know, they're all mad at the same people. They're all sort of like processing the game together, you know, in this kind of like weird stew of resentment and, you know, like, like grief. Um, and as a result, it often does seem like, I mean, that my experience certainly in, in, um, in Cambodia as part of the trade was that, you know, we would endlessly kind of talk about who deserved to win and people would make their case for why their person deserved to win. And then someone else would counter that. And, and you know, um, it just becomes its own separate social vote. And, and I think if, if they could sequester the jury that from each other, not, not obviously from the contestants, but from each other, that would be probably have a huge impact on who wins the game. You know, I think that might actually really affect who wins. I don't think it's reasonable. I think it would be like, it would be such a huge manpower uh, issue. It would also be, you know, probably traumatic for, for jurors to come off the show and then not like, you know, have to wait, sit for two weeks by themselves, yeah. you know, with no human contact. Like that would actually be like psychological torture. Um, so I don't think it's a reasonable change to make, but I do think it probably w- would impact significantly um the people who win the show i mean in, in this season too you know the two the two last jurors are you know heather erica's number one ally who's the final juror and um and ricard who apparently was also a big erica booster so you know i think the last people to come out of the game are the ones who often have the biggest impact because they're the ones who say as right before you go into final tribal this is what's happening this is how the game is these are who how you got screwed over you know this person betrayed you this person didn't betray you and they really affect um the temperature of the jury right before that final vote yeah and i know we went over this in a past podcast and i don't i don't have the numbers in front of me but it's probably why i think we've seen a lot of blowouts in in, in the final tribal there haven't been a lot of close ones Uh, you mentioned wendell and uh dominic obviously that was a close one but there haven't been many since I think probably since that midpoint midway point where you said twenty five seasons it was you know thirteen twelve but ever since then uh, you said it was thirteen to three men over women and if we went down and broke down the final tribal votes in that they were all pretty much blowouts as well right I mean outside of Wendell and Dominic um, were there any that weren't uh, there wasn't a four three I don't think anywhere in there. You know, there's no, I mean, they were, or... I'm trying to think of like, what was, yeah, any, any even remotely close ones. Um, I, I can't, offhand, I can't think of any, um, yeah, it really has been a big, you know, I do think it has become, and again, it's become more that way. It used to be like, you know, four, you know, four, three all the time. Right. Like you were, like we were saying, I mean, it, it is interesting to like wonder about, um, you know, and I think I did a bad, a bad job earlier of sort of addressing the question of like sexism on the show. I mean, there has to be, um, you know, you know, it's so hard to say what goes into something like that. Like, why is it all blowouts now? Why is it mostly men winning? You know, is it some sort of like sexism? Is it like a change in the structure of the game? Is it, you know, some sort of like shift in society, um, you know, where we're more inclined, you know, like 
we, we all know that people are more um, inclined now to want to be part of a group, right? Like I feel like people are more passionate about their, their groups right now. Um, so, you know, who knows? It's really such a, a tough one. Um, but you know, it, it's probably all of those things. Well, thank you for, thank you for ta- talking there because I pulled up survivor Wikipedia and I'm going to zip through season 26 to 41 and just look at these final votes. <laughs> so start starting at season 26, Cochran, eight, nothing Tyson, seven, yep. one, Tony, eight, one, Natalie, five, two, one over Jacqueline and Missy. Mike Holloway, 6-1-1. One, one. Jeremy, 10-0 over Spencer and Tasha. Uh, Fitz, Michelle Fitzgerald, 5-2 over Aubrey. Adam Klein, 10-0. Uh, Sarah, 7-3. Ben, 5-2-1. Wendell and Dominic, we know, tied 5-5. Five, five, and then um, Wendell got the, the deciding vote by uh, Laurel. Um, Nick Wilson, 7-3. Underwood, 9-4. Tommy, 8-2. Tony, 12-4. Erica, 7-1. So it looks like, outside of Wendell and Dominic, since season 26, 9-4? No, no, 7-3, which was Sarah over Bra- uh, over Culpepper and Nick over Mike White. 7-3 looks like our closest vote. Yeah. I mean, isn't that wild? And is it, I mean, what was, I mean, Survivor 25 was uh, Kim versus Chelsea. What, what was, do you know, do you remember how, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was Denise. Denise. Versus, she was, um, she was uh, 6-1-1 over Welchel, Lisa Welchel and Scoopin. And what was what was um, uh, Chelsea versus uh, Kim uh, versus Sabrina? No, Sabrina was the. So I think Chelsea got zero votes. Sabrina was the runner up in that season. But I think that was a close one, right? Like season twenty four. Twenty four. Uh, Kim was seven two over Sabrina and Chelsea. Okay, well that's not that. That's not that close. So, yeah, seven two zero. Um, but before that, just... I got probably the closest last one was like Sophie versus Coach in twenty three. I mean, but it is interesting that um, you know roughly. At the same time, the show was changing in terms of like having more blowouts and having fewer women winners. Like, I, I wonder like what it is. There must be some like you know that's around the time that um, Jeff became executive producer. Um, you know, it's just like you wonder like what you know, what it is is it about something about society. Is it about something about how how people are getting cast? Is it something about like the way the show is structured? And it's just so hard to pinpoint any one thing. Yeah, and I, and I'm not saying. I mean, just looking at the numbers here, I'm not saying there weren't blowouts. In seasons one to twenty-five, I'm just saying there were a lot more close ones. We had Hatch. Oh yeah, we had Hatch four three, uh, four three, Vesepia and um, Brian four three, Amber over Rob four three, uh, Yule five four over Ozzy. Um, right. Poverty five two, Todd Herzog four two one, Bob Crowley four three, um, uh, Judd five four. Sophie six it's so three. Interesting. Yeah. It's so interesting that like it's so um yeah, because they were often like just decided, I mean, as you as you just noted, they were often decided by a vote, and now it's always complete chess. I, I just wonder what what it's so interesting. I, I wish someone would like come I, I I can't I don't have any good ideas. I mean, it could also be um that be, as the game has kind of gotten into its later stages, people are more you know, this I mean, first of all, the strategy has evolved a lot, so there might be a, a clearer idea of what makes a good um, strategic survivor player. Um, it's just so hard. I mean, you know, may- maybe people are, yeah. So if, if there's more of a sense of like what truly makes a good survivor game, because we're kind of in the later days of survivor um, later days, um, the, uh, the, um, 
you know, maybe it's just more obvious to the jurors who, who the better best player is. I mean, that, that doesn't seem like the most compelling rationale to me, but like that, that's a, certainly a possible one. Anyway, I mean, yeah. there's just so much that goes into it. It's, it is really interesting though, to look at those numbers. Yeah. I, I until I pulled it up uh, to, to see that from 25 to 41, there were as many blowouts as there is. There's literally been one close vote in the last 16 seasons, which was, yeah, which was the wild. Wendell Dominic one. And everything else, there hasn't been a final vote that was within four votes. The winner was in yeah. four votes of second place. I mean, that's just kind of says a lot when when I just named off all those in the first twenty five seasons where there was at least seven, eight, or nine that were within one or two votes in the final vote. It's so, so interesting. I mean, it's so so interesting. I mean, again, like that is right around when um, Probst took over as executive producers. I wonder, I wonder what that. Huh? You know, yeah. there must be there must be somehow tied to to that, right? I mean, it's it's just such an interesting. I mean, I, I don't think he's like he's not like telling juries who to vote for. You know, there's none of that. I just wonder if like, you know, the changes that he brought to the game like led to that. You know, in some way, it's um, possible. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who knows? And I'm just and the funny thing is, just looking at these names, I'm sitting here. And look, I, I know all the winners. I could, if if you showed me a, a picture of the winner, I could tell you their names. But looking at some of these second and third placers, like if you were to tell me <laughs> Carolyn Rivera and Will Sims finished second and third to Mike Holloway, like who? Carolyn Rivera? I have no idea. Um, some of these other second place finishers. Mama C, she was great. She was a great character. Yeah, Mama I don't C, remember. She was like a near miss. Yeah. Gavin Whitson lost to Chris. I, I don't remember Gavin. Um, yeah, nobody remembers Gavin. No, Gavin's actually a good friend of mine. So I, I uh, just, sorry, Gavin. Um, and that was like poor, poor Gavin. Yeah. I mean, you really like lose the guy who didn't even play the game. Um, I, I know who Mike White is cause he, uh, lost to Nick, but I, I definitely know who he is. Um, I'm just I'm looking at some of the, but Car- Jacqueline Schultz and Missy, I don't really remember. I can't, like, I can't picture their faces. Um, Sabrina and Chelsea definitely don't remember, but you know, on Sophie season, I remember coach and I remember uh, well, sure, Philip yeah. and, and Natalie and Chase Rice, yeah. obviously and Parvati and Russell. Well, that's interesting. I mean, maybe it's, yeah, maybe it is a, uh, maybe how those people are. I don't know. It's, it is interesting that you, that they're more, you think they were more memorable runners up back in the day. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, these runners up that I mean, maybe because they got blown out and they didn't make a, you know, they didn't make like because if you were right. to tell me like, remember I just now I was able to recall Wendell and Dominic being close, and I remember those two, and that's why I remember Dominic because I remember that final tribal and I remember it being close. But then when you throw a, hey, who finished second to Tommy Sheehan? I, you could have given me a thousand guesses. I wouldn't have guessed <laughs> Dean, Dean Kowalski. Dean. <laughs> I mean, who? <laughs> You know, Jacqueline Schultz and, and, you know, Lisa Welch, I remember from Facts of Life and Scoopin was a former player, but, you know, Dawn and Dawn and Sherry finishing second to Cochran. I'm like, I kind of remember Dawn, Sherry Bythman, no clue, <laughs> no, no idea. But yeah, just looking at those names, I was like, gosh, I am really. Oh, and then Hannah Shapiro and Ken McNichol losing to Adam. Like Hannah and Ken, who? I don't, I, those two don't, I mean, don't have a clue. Well, you I, mean, I, I mean, I, I you do. do. I know who they are. Yeah, yeah I know <laughs> I you do. Them, yeah, because yeah, yeah, it's your job. But if I were to tell you, yeah. if I were to tell you uh, some of the names who finished second in Bachelor or Bachelorette, like I know you're kind of familiar with that world. I don't know. I, don't, right, I wouldn't know. You wouldn't right, know. Yeah, it's the same know. thing yeah, with you. 100%. It's This is yeah. your job. That's why you know those people. Bachelor or Bachelorette is my job. That's why I could tell you who finished totally. second and third and recognize it is them. Crazy. Well, again, like that goes back to the Erica thing, you know, where 
the story of the season is typically why the winner won, right? Like that's part of the big, that's like the biggest story of the, or like one of the biggest stories of every season. Yeah. And it's just so interesting that that was like such an underemphasized story. And I really like, I was really shocked that they would, you know, let the first woman winner in so long be, you know, so underedited in that way. It is. Cause like, like you're saying, like you remember the winners because like, those are like the big characters and, you know, the fact that this season we got a winner who was not a big character was very unusual. <laughs> and this season seemed to be more about why Xander didn't win versus why Erica did. Well, I honestly, I thought that's where it was going, but it wasn't really. Like you were saying, like, you didn't know why Erica didn't win. <laughs> I mean, why Xander didn't win, you know? Like, I mean, it was, that's certainly why we, we saw, like, why, um, you know, why Deshaun didn't win. But I don't know if we saw on air why why xander didn't win you know we, we saw that in the exit press but yeah i, I guess don't think we ever of... got that reason you know other than sort of his you know kind of subpar uh, final tribal yeah um, I, guess, I guess it was more the eggs yeah i guess it was more the exit interviews as to why he didn't win yeah, yeah it definitely wasn't yeah. it wasn't shown um and the only hints that we started getting i mean now when you watch the final episode back they did give hints that erica was going to win when i think um danny or maybe it was shan reacted to Xander saying I didn't view um Erica as a threat and and Shan saying oh he he read that wrong and I was like oh wow, right maybe right yep yep and that was yep. our first linking to oh and then and then a couple references to the fact of Erica saying in her confessionals that a woman hasn't won in six seasons I was like why do they keep bringing that up and now we kind of know why um yeah so I mean th- that was um you know, but they they talked about that in, in season thirty nine. You know, we had Sandra saying, "I think it's time for a woman to win again," and then a woman didn't win that season. You know, we we uh, so I feel like they've been teasing us with this for so long. I didn't I didn't want to uh, get my hopes up, but but you know, in, in fact, it did it did lead to it. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I'm oh here. Cu- I thought it cut out. No, but yeah, oh. no, I I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it was just one of these things where it wasn't until the final episode where it was any sort of inkling that this Erica girl who's kind of just been there and been involved in storylines here and there, but never was a major, at least shown to us, you know, never a major thing. All of a sudden she was, and it was like, Whoa, okay, here's where we're at. But we as viewers can only go off what the show chooses to give us. And they gave us a lot more of the Ricards of the season, the Xanders, the Deshaun's than they did of Erica's story. And it just was, it was different. Like I said, Probably made some people mad. Like, where did this come from? I don't like this winner because I barely know her. Versus some people are like, oh, they surprised us with the editing this year. As opposed to, as you said, I think in your very first answer on the podcast, which was, it seems like in the past few seasons, they've been going down the road where it was pretty much obvious who was going to win based on the edit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I do think, I mean, in some ways it's a good thing. You know, I mean, I was like sure that Shan was winning based on the edit. Um, oh yeah, and then it was, it was it was nice to be surprised. You know, it was nice to kind of like have that rug pulled out a little bit. So I think that they were aware of that, but maybe they just overcompensated a little bit. You know, where they went too far in um, in kind of trying to hide the winner, uh, and then and then it's to the point where they had made her invisible. I really, we could have had like one scene of of Erica and Heather, you know, being you know <laughs> scheming on on that tribe. You know, we we saw a lot. You know, we saw other people on the tribe. We saw Danny and Deshaun's alliance. You know, we saw a bunch of Nasir. Um, you know, we saw, we got Sydney content. Um, and you know, I love Sydney. She was great, but, but yeah, we could have seen one scene of, of, of Erica and Heather. Yeah. And I basically, for me, I had three winners this season. I thought based on what I was seeing on TV, I thought it was going to be Shan based on her edit. 
And then once Ricard got rid of Shan or was the mastermind kind of behind it and said, you know, we need to go after each other and I, I need to go after it at some point, then I thought it was going to be him. But, again, I don't yeah. know. I, you know, you don't know if he's going to win I- immunity. It was more like if he doesn't lose out on – if he doesn't lose any immunities, he's winning. And then once he was gone, I was like, oh, okay, so it's Xander. <laughs> you know, and then I'm yeah, – Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, they really – I mean, in some ways it's fun to, like, be surprised, but, you know, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, thanks uh, again. Another great, uh, another great recap. I'm glad you could do it. We'll have you on again uh, in 42. Maybe we'll bring you on at the end of that season when it starts up, or maybe even in the beginning and the end. We'll see how it, we'll see how it goes out, um, plays out. But again, Stephen, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, wish you the best, you and your family the best uh, during these this holiday season. So um, again, appreciate everything that you do, and love having you on. Well, thanks for having me again. It's always such a pleasure to get to talk to you about this. And, you know, I, I the people I talk to are typically so deep in this world that it's like, you know, everything, it's all, you know, you, it's like the conversation is like really like not even, you know, it's, it's great to get your perspective because it gets like, sometimes it gets like too, too into the weeds, you know, too inside baseball. And it's great to like talk to you about it, who knows the show extremely well, um, but isn't necessarily, like you said, you can't remember the, the winner from seven or the, the runner up from 17 seasons ago. Yeah. Um, so, so it's really fun to talk to you about this, to get like a, an, a reality TV expert's opinion. Um, but not one who's necessarily like so deep in the survivor yeah, and, world and, that it's all you know, meta commentary. Yeah. Deep into the weeds and the details. It's just someone who, yeah. who watches it, you know, knows the show has watched every season, but has a horrible memory retention from the seasons. But you know, hell I have, like I said, I had a horrible memory retention, from this season because I couldn't name any of the I don't even remember the names of the three tribes to start the show already. <laughs> you know? I remember I remember Luvu, that's it. And then y- yeah. Yase or Yasir or what I don't <laughs> Yeah, Yase. You got, I mean, yeah. you're there, you're there. Okay. I mean, the thing is like you know the show super well, but it's like you have like a different perspective, I think. I mean, I think we sometimes the survivor like like community gets like so like caught up in its own one perspective. So to get someone from like just like solely outside of that, you you often have like a really eye-opening uh, perspective. And so I'm I'm grateful to talk to you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And that's why we have you on every season. We'll do it again in 2022. <laughs> talk to you soon, Steve. You got to see. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks again so much to Stephen for that. Uh, he's the best at this, and I love the fact that I'm like somewhat of a casual view. I, I, it's tough to say casual viewer because that makes me, it makes it sound like I don't watch every episode, but I do. I just never think about the show once the episode ends. I, I'll read Dalton's recaps, but I don't do a podcast the next day. I'm not taking notes during the show. Like I said, I don't remember who got what advantages this season or who pulled how many idols or what immunity challenge they won and what they had to do to win the immunity. Like, I don't know any of that stuff. I just watch it and you know, digest what I can and then, you know, kind of forget stuff by the time the next episode rolls around. Um, but obviously Steven, it's his job. He talks about it every day. So he remembers all these people and remembers all the details and stuff like that. So yeah, it's always good to, to have him on and share that because he is an encyclopedia when it comes to this stuff. So anyway, um, I really appreciate you all listening. We're coming up on, um, we just passed five years that I've been doing this podcast. That is absolutely crazy to me. Five years we've been doing the podcast, and hopefully we'll just keep it going. And as you know, you know, I've said it quite a few times in the last few podcasts, it's just a lot tougher to get on former contestants from this show, at least the most recent ones, because this show does not want them associating with me. So I don't even ask, and because I know the answer is going to be no. So, But I will say that next week we do have 
a contestant on. I'm supposed to record with them tomorrow. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it goes through. Former contestant, former winner of this show from years back. Not anybody recent, uh, but a former winner. Uh, we'll be on the podcast next week. It'll be good to hear from them. So please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple Podcasts. Much appreciated. And uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, yeah, yet another podcast. Like I said, former winner quite a few seasons ago, and we'll just take it from there. And um, should be a good one, though, based on the conversations that I've had with them off air so far. And, uh, yeah, I mean, those are the type of people from this franchise that will be able to do my podcast, people that are long, long removed from being under contract with this show. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Of course, I'd love to talk to the people fresh off Paradise and and fresh off The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and talk to Matt's women and Katie's guys. It's just it's just not going to happen. Even if I have I asked any of them to come on. No. But what's the point of asking when I already know the answer is going to be no. It's just it's not going to happen. I almost need them to reach out to me um, to be like, I, I would do it, you know, because I, then I would just be wasting time sending it out to everybody. I just, I know the show doesn't want them on my podcast, period. End of story. They've told them that I've had contestants tell me that, um, they can't come on until they're out of contract. So that's where we're at, but I'm still going to do podcasts every week. I hope you enjoyed the 12 days, 12 dates of Christmas podcasts that were the last few weeks. And you know, cause that was a good show. We got some other shows coming up. Joe millionaire is starting at the end of the new year at the, after the new year, I'll be live tweeting that one and promoting that show. Probably get one of those, if not both the Joe Millionaire guys on the podcast at some point. And yeah, I'm looking, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And um, so without any further ado, let's just, uh, let's just end this thing. Happy holidays to everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas. If you celebrate Christmas, happy holidays. If you celebrate other things, I hope you all have a great weekend. And we'll be back uh, next week with another podcast. So for Stephen Fishback, I'm Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. And we will talk to you next week. See ya!